Welcome to Life Quest Liberty, live in-depth conversations with today's top writers, editors, and spiritual leaders concerning religious freedom around the world. On today's broadcast, we'll examine local and international factors that may be impacting your right to worship and obey God as your conscience dictates. I'm your Life Quest Liberty host, Charles Mills. Pack your bags and grab your passport. Today we're heading for Europe to see where it all began. Where what all began? Let's talk with our guide, Lincoln Steed, editor of Liberty Magazine. Lincoln, we're ready to go. Where are we heading and why? Well, you mean I get to talk about a great two-week tour that I had through Italy, through France, through Switzerland, and had such a great time that I felt guilty, and now I get to talk about it. (laughs) Good, good. But there was a purpose for all this, right? Absolutely. I was on a a full-size tour bus for two weeks uh, with 24 mostly religious liberty leaders, some church administrators, and just a few regular church members. But essentially, it was a targeted group that, that no religious liberty, and we were retracing the steps of some of the reformers and some of the, the scenes of, of some severe religious conflict, mm. people fighting for their right to believe and practice whatever faith they felt moved toward. We were looking at the, uh, the history of this through the center of Europe. You know, we live in the new world, but the old world has seen a lot of things over yes, the years. Yes, yes, We We tend to forget that. We look at our world and we say, okay, that's... Very little in our in our world is over 200 years old. I mean, we can look at it and we say, well, that's 150 years old, 200 years. We're talking centuries. We're talking millennia when you go over there and look around, right? Well, when you go to Rome, where we started, a good majority of the oldish-looking buildings go back to the time of Christ. Mm, mm, and mm, uh, mm. when you get to the Roman Forum and, and, and that general vicinity there, of course, it goes back hundreds of years, yes. uh, many hundreds of years earlier. Yeah. So this is what I think qualifies as ancient history and what qualifies when you're talking about Christianity. Certainly, this is the very beginnings of the faith, the, the, the time of struggle against not just paganism, but against the greatest imperial power and organized empire that the world has ever known, even to our day. We have to keep in mind also that Christianity took root here. I mean, it, it was, yes, it was persecuted. Yes, it was, it was struggled. Yes, there were wars and everything. But it really took root in these areas. What happened to it? Why did we move from a, a love your neighbor, love Christ, look forward to the second coming, to what we had over there well, in the Middle Ages? Well, that's the mystery of, <laughs> I don't totally know the answer to that <laughs> myself. There's no question that the early Christians who began not in Rome, where, where we began our tour, mm-hmm. but Christianity, of course, was in the so-called Holy Land in, in uh, Jerusalem Yes, because of Jesus Christ. Uh, he was a Jew. People forget that, even the Nazis and the, the early Christian church at the times of persecution. It was an inconvenient fact that Jesus was a Jew. Yes, And his followers, of course, coming out of Judaism, became Christians because of the uh, special hope and insights that he provided. And at first, they were at serious odds with their fellow Jews. There was persecution there. And those of our listeners that know their Bible well know that the Apostle Paul, who was known as Saul, was a teacher and a leader of the Pharisees, and he became a persecutor of the early Christians during that first persecution. But then because of, I hope, his conscience, but particularly because of an intervention by God, he was convinced that he was fighting against the truth, and became a champion of Christianity. I think Paul's life is the single thing that broadened the appeal of 
of Christianity beyond the immediate vicinity of Jerusalem, took it beyond the, the Aramaic-speaking world, and, 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 of course, Paul himself went to Rome and testified before the emperor. And I think that began to plant Christianity in Rome and the heart of the Roman Empire. And it was not really more than 100 years before it was a force not so much to reckon with, but a force to notice in Rome itself, and persecution ensued. There were severe persecutions of the early Christians. We looked through the uh, Colosseum. I've been to Rome several times, uh-huh. but I'd never actually gone through the Colosseum. I didn't like to spend the admission fee. <laughs> <laughs> uh, appeared through the bars, but it was interesting to wander through it and to realize that there were Christians that were put on display there before the sports field-like crowds who wanted, as they always do and still do, they wanted their blood and their... Their, their conflict, and, and sometimes that involved Christians being set upon by wild animals. Mm. Other times they were just cut down by gladiators. And all because of their faith, all because their faith was seen as, as disloyal to the empire, the time when uniformity of belief was important, at a time when uh, the emperors themselves claimed uh, connections to the gods. There's a lot of misinformation about early history, except for Caligula, perhaps, and a few other crazies. They didn't, narrowly speaking, believe that they were some uh, otherworldly divinity, but the the pagan belief system saw all human beings as an outgrowth of of divinity, that we had the God within us, and that someone who was elevated by their stature and their uh, deeds, uh, heroic deeds, would be a channel and a revelation of the gods themselves. So in that sense, the emperors were bold enough to say that they were God, and that uh, there was a cult of empire or emperor worship, and Christians would have nothing with it. Mm-hmm. So they were seen as, as seditious, dangerous, in opposition to the empire, and, and uh, easily found themselves you know, in front of the lions. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that period didn't last that long. And this is something that our journey to Rome showed us, how uh, by the third century, the emperor Constantine, for reasons that will never quite be known, but it was obvious that he saw the, the writing in the demographic wind and that Christians were a force to reckon with in the empire, and he co-opted them. He came out in favor of Christianity, pretty much put the, the uh, imperial blessing on it. He didn't ban paganism, but Christianity was under the imperial protection. He uh, used his power to get rid of some of the Christian beliefs that he didn't much care of, and and therein hangs a tale that we might (laughs) deal with another time. But, you know, the persecutions were over, and then came a period where where initially Rome, and then the Roman Catholic Church, which was the political religious inheritor of the Roman power, Mm -hmm. it then turned around and started persecuting dissident Christians who didn't fit their political religious model of what it was to be a, a conforming Christian. So we had Christianity start out as a religion, Christian. Uh, it came into rough waters when a, the civil authorities got a hold of it. Then the civil authorities embraced Christianity. And then what happened next? I mean, Constantine, the civil authorities say, okay, Christian's wonderful, let's, let's do this thing. How did it separate again back into a power where there was persecution from a religious standpoint again? Well, it happened almost automatically when the Emperor Constantine uh, took Christianity under his wing. Uh He called the first uh, major church council at Nicaea, which is modern-day Nice, on the French Riviera. That was part of the Roman Empire, of course. He summoned all the church leaders, and he wanted a predictable religion to uh, support. So he had them 
discuss their their differences, and in particular, they had to settle the issue of the Trinity. To settle it to his liking, right? Uh, yes, that's the unfortunate part of yes, it. Yes, yes. He took an active interest, and his own sister had a different view on, on which view of the Trinity she would adopt, yeah. and she was keen on Arianism, the idea that Jesus was a created being rather than mm-hmm. part of the Godhead. Mm-hmm. But once his view uh, was formalized, then... then Books, uh, to the contrary, were destroyed systematically throughout the empire, and those that held to that view were persecuted. So there was persecution almost instantly. Now, there was persecution before, but it shifted its character. Now it was a persecution uh, in view of a a certain orthodoxy. Uh, It seems the nature of religion, in this case Christianity, that that one person, one priest, is uh, moved to enforce their view upon another person. But as, as anyone that listened to this program knows, that that's against the very principle of religious liberty. The, the Reformation was really mm-hmm. the beginning of the separation, which is still not truly complete in our yeah, day. Yeah. But uh, as the Reformation began, the, uh, ch- the, the Church of Rome, which through a bunch of uh, political uh, steps as well as uh, religious transformations, had become a, a dominant political and religious power. And, and uh, when the reformers, some big figures like Martin Luther and John Knox and so on, when they rose up, of course, they were immediately in conflict with this political or religious power. But it would be foolish to think that it was just a few people. It was a groundswell of, of uh, complaint from many people within the church community who felt that they had never been allowed to access to the to the Bible itself. They'd never been allowed to exercise their own conscience and, and, and choose or, or discuss and, and, and settle on truths because of the logic of their own mind rather than being told what they had to believe. Mm-hmm. And there was an element, since it was a religious and political union, there was an element of people in far-flung countries thinking, why should a religious political power half a world away, yeah, or at least yeah. their world half a world away, be telling us what to believe and what to do. So there was, there was a sort of a nationalist uh, move. But I believe that the Reformation was largely stimulated by the rise in education and printing, of course. Which horse came first? Which card came first? You don't know. Yeah. But that was the dynamic. And people broke free of this long, solidifying model of a church and a political power united at the hip. It was Mussolini, most recently, that re-empowered the, the Vatican, gave it some political power in lieu of a few hundred acres of deeded land. But, but when you see these, these uh, structures and realize that, that you know, the, the, here is a religious power hovering over the, what was once the center of the world empire, you see there the, the literal power that this church wielded. But I, I want to just comment on something that I saw early on. Yes. It's not to do with Christianity per se, but it's to do with religious persecution. And I'd gone past it before two or three times over my lifetime, but never noticed it. Just off to the side of the Colosseum, which every tourist tends to either drive by or go through, uh, there's one of the many victory arches in Rome called the Arch of Titus. And it's quite something to stand under it and look at all the carvings and the beautiful artwork on it. And I knew that that had been dedicated to the victory of Titus in Palestine. But I hadn't really noticed the illustration on it, because there, when you look closely, for all to see, is a picture of the victorious Roman army bringing back the uh, 
furniture from the destroyed temple in Jerusalem. Mm. There are the uh, golden candlesticks and other vessels. They pillaged Jerusalem, and as Jesus himself foretold, there was to be an absolute destruction where almost not one stone was left upon another, and that was true. They, they raised the city, pillaged all of the gold, used that for a number of building projects in Rome, and even as important, the very Arch of Titus and other public buildings in Rome were built using the labor of Hebrew slaves. My. So here was the iron fist of Rome at work to destroy a people who had dared to rebel against them, but along the way to degrade their religion and uh, grind it into the dust. Well, we're going to do more on this tour on our next program. This is fascinating stuff, Lincoln. Lincoln Steed here is talking about his recent tour of Europe. I'm loving this. So on our next program, we're going to pick the story right up here. What happened next? So be sure to tune in next time for LifeQuest Liberty. Until then, this is Charles Mills along with Lincoln Steed inviting you to rest in the freedom of God's love. Goodbye, everyone. If you'd like more information about LifeQuest Liberty, call Three Angels Broadcasting Network at 618-627-4651 or email us through our website at 3abn.org. Join us again next week at this same time as we examine more of the threats and challenges facing your religious freedom. May God keep the flames of liberty burning in your heart today. Today.